So welcome to the Talking, Learning and Teaching podcast. I'm Ros Lishman and I'm an Associate Professor in the Department of Politics, People and Place at De Montfort University and also a Teacher Fellow. Today we have a very interesting uh, guest on our on our very first podcast. He started his career as a sports scientist, lecturing, researching and writing extensively in the field of sport and exercise psychology. So Kevin and I first met when we were working together in POD five years ago at De Montfort University. And the first thing that landed on our desk together was the UDL or Universal Design for Learning project. So Kevin's here to talk about his experience uh, of working on this. And um, I guess the starting point for 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 the que- the questions that we're going to talk about or go through is thinking about um, how. Uh, your varied career might have um, might really have inf- influenced your teaching for so- uh, philo- philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, five years is a long time, isn't it, Ros? Actually, yeah. I mean, uh, p- people get less time for for heinous crimes than that, don't they? <laughs> uh, that time has has passed really, really quickly. Um, but we've had a blast, I think, doing the UDL stuff. And you're absolutely right. Actually, I I came to DMU specifically. Uh, for the purposes of UDL. It was um, a big part of the kind of uh, remit on the job description. And I, I had to give a presentation in my knowledge on UDL uh, as part of my interview. So it's been, it's been a big part of the last five years for me. But I mean, my my varied background, yeah, I have had a varied background. And I think it's it's influenced my my teaching philosophy massively, really. I mean, as you mentioned, my background's in in physiology, that's what I did as an undergraduate and postgraduate student. And and in physiology, there's kind of lots of remembering of sort of factual information. But then at the sort of higher levels of learning, those sort of higher order thinking skills become really important because with any sort of science based discipline, you've really got to be able to sort of interrogate the available literature on a topic to be able to understand it and then draw your own conclusions on it. So the ability to sort of critically analyze and evaluate is is really really important and there were lots of sort of um problem-based assessments when I was a student it was a bit like you know what would you do in this situation type assessment so synthesizing different ideas and approaches based on careful sort of critical analysis and evaluation of the literature was really really important and I think you know the influence of that places me very much in that kind of constructivist school when it comes to how people learn you know I I teach for mastery I'm I'm a bit obsessed with getting my students to master uh, whatever it is that I'm teaching them and 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 mastery in that case I guess is the ability to do all of the kind of cognitive skills in Bloom's taxonomy Um, so that's kind of the starting point for my approach and then when I work with disabled students it really really opened my mind to the idea that there's there's no one-size-fits-all approach to learning uh, and so there can't be a one size fits all approach to teaching either. And that's the bit where kind of UDL comes in, really. So sort of going on to the sort of student services side and working with disabled students really, really enhanced my sort of knowledge and understanding of UDL, really. And that's been a big part of my philosophy as well. So, Kev, you've obviously it's become become your baby, if you like. Um, you've been you've in in our university and, and wider afield actually you've become renowned for your work on UDL and it's become your specialism so so what does UDL really mean to you? Oh good question I think I think the quick answer would be to say that it's just good teaching really um, 
which it is but i think to drill down into that a bit deeper um i mentioned before i, I think it's quite closely aligned aligned to my teaching philosophy which i just spoke about so you know the, the aim of udl is to develop expert learners so this idea of expertise for me is very much aligned with my sort of obsession with students mastering their learning but recognizing that the journey to that mastery is a very personal one that is rarely the same for any two people and that those people are likely to differ markedly in how they kind of get interested in learning and, and how they stay motivated for it um, and they will also differ in relation to the materials and resources that help them navigate their learning and they will also differ in, in how they're best able to demonstrate that their understanding really so that that sort of aspect of customizability i think is is critical in what i think udl means you know creating a customizable learning experience for the students um the other critical thing that i think udl means to me is that it's very closely aligned with some other sort of major pedagogic approaches that we all use sort of every day you know constructive alignment is is one massive example so you know one of the ways in which learners become expert is to be strategic and goal oriented uh, in the udl uh, framework well for me constructive alignment is very much about supporting a strategic and goal oriented approach to learning you know you've got clear learning outcomes and then you've got assessments that directly reflect those learning outcomes and as teachers we have to make sure that we've got learning and teaching experiences for our students that reflect both of those things so for me constructive alignment is effectively a strategy for ensuring you know that the learner cannot escape without learning as big obviously said uh, in his writings on constructive alignment but for me that's a massive part of udl this idea about being sort of strategic and goal oriented so there's a lot of existing pedagogy that we draw upon every day that has has a big part to play in udl and i think that's kind of what it means to me really so um what do you feel has been the or is one of the the biggest challenges for colleagues wanting to implement a, a universal design to learning or udl in their teaching Again, another really good question. Um, I think it comes back to some of the stuff that I've just mentioned, really. Uh, the, the fact that in reality, a big part of UDL is sort of a, underpinned by those sound pedagogic principles that we've all heard about before, you know, by by constructively aligning our teaching. We're, we're making uh, we're making students strategic and goal oriented uh, by supporting their mastery over higher order thinking skills. We're helping them to become expert learners and by varying how we deliver the learning, we're supporting their continued motivation. Um, and also by providing a, an array of different resources and materials, we're supporting them to become knowledgeable and resourceful. And these are all kind of aims of, of UDL in the broadest sense. Um, and these are all things that would just constitute effective teaching. I think most of us would actually, you know, agree that actually, you know, everything I've just listed there is, is just an effective approach to teaching. There's nothing particularly sort of special or different about it. You know, even if UDL didn't exist, you know, these things would still be, you know what we would consider to be effective approaches so i think in answer to the question the, the biggest challenge really is that udl is sometimes misunderstood you know i've had colleagues say to me in the past uh things like oh so i just need to make sure that i record my lecture right you know and then i'm doing udl or oh i've increased the font size on my powerpoints um and although those things are important of course they are they're only really sort of scratching at the surface um I guess it's it's getting people to understand that UDL fundamentally is is about pedagog pedagogy rather than just adjustment. You know, of course, the elements of adjustment are important, but it doesn't necessarily tell the full story. So I think I think that's the biggest challenge, really, kind of 
making colleagues understand that actually that there's some real sound pedagogy that underpins this. It's not just about making those um, adjustments to your teaching or to your resources for a specific purpose. Uh, I suppose picking up on that, that you've alluded to there, uh, you know, other both of us have worked on developing colleagues around uh, the principles and the framework of UDL. Do you feel that there's a, there are any particular myths around UDL that you're that you're having to, to, to debunk on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a few, probably a lot of what I've just said, um, this view that it's about making lots of adjustments, but not really changing anything about the approach. You know, a, a highly inclusive and accessible PowerPoint slide you know, probably won't be much good to a student that doesn't engage very well with a lecture in the first place. You know what I mean? So you've got to kind of dig to that deeper level, really, I think, uh, to really understand how perhaps UDL is, is applied. Um, I think the other myth that, that I'd probably like to debunk is is that it's really, really hard and it takes loads of time and and all that type of thing, because I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, you know, once those key pedagogic ideas uh, are embraced, I, I don't think it's actually that difficult and I don't think it actually takes all that much much time because as we've said they're just effective approaches to teaching anyway so these are the things that we would be expecting people to do um you know if they were going to be teaching students in an effective manner um as as for the time aspect you know uh state the obvious you know teaching's not really a nine to five job and i think once you've taken the king's shilling and committed yourself to supporting student learning uh, then a big part of your profession is about improving your practice continually so that students are supported in the most effective way so yeah i think sometimes the time aspect you know be becoming good and developing expertise in anything does take a bit of time so you know but that time is well used i think you know i'm just thinking can you give us an example of something that you've done um where you know on the on the pg cap which obviously is where you're you're teaching uh, colleagues within the university where you've implemented or used these kind of principles yeah i think i mean on the on the pg uh the pg cert initially uh, before it became the pg cap i mean we we implemented some of the um the principles of the flip classroom so the kind of uh, more content driven aspects of the program we actually delivered using some pre-recorded screencasts and the reason we did that was because we wanted to spend more contact time working on developing those higher order thinking skills if we think about Bloom's taxonomy. So, you know, the higher order skills tend to be more challenging to develop because they require uh, greater cognitive processes. So it's it's important to have peers and, and, and the teacher around to support the development of those, but also to provide feedback on our attempts at, at, uh, at implementing those. So, you know, one of the ways in which we tried to sort of um, provide a, a more UDL experience from a pedagogic point of view is actually kind of flipping the classroom a little bit. Um, I don't always like to kind of go into too much depth around flip classrooms because there's a lot of misunderstanding, I think, around what the flip classroom actually is. But effectively, all, all we did, we made sure that we utilised contact time um, in a way that, that Oops, it supported. Lost there. Just lost you there just slightly. Oh, am I back? <laughs> Yeah, back in the room. Second. I'm yeah. back in the room. No, I was just saying we 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 um you know we, we were really really keen on making sure that that contact time was used to develop those higher order thinking skills because that's kind of what what that expert learning that mastery learning is all about really. So yeah, kind of 
take it, taking a bit of a flipped classroom approach was a really important step in, in the UDL process. I think one of the other big um, UDL elements that I could kind of pinpoint from the PG cap was um, we, we used a patchwork style assessment methodology. So uh, the participants on the program had to do some formative assessment pretty much every week. But we sort of said to them, you can complete that formative assessment in any format you like. So if you want to write it, you can write it. Uh, if you want to create a screencast or a podcast, you can do that. You know, if you want to come into class and do a piece of interpretive dance uh, as, as, as a way of, of um, you know, delivering that, then you can. It's, it's, in, it's entirely up to you. No, unfortunately not. No, I was uh, I kept asking week after week whether we had anybody that wanted to sort of interpret their work through uh, Lego or dance or art or anything like that. But um, we didn't actually. But lots of people did take the podcast option uh, and the screencast option. A few people did posters and said, actually, I'm quite a, a visual learner. So I'd actually prefer to get my ideas. Um, you know, I'd actually like to, to present my ideas in a more visual form using images and illustrations and that type of thing. And, you know, I think that worked pretty well. And the, the feedback on that from the participants was really, really strong. They really appreciated that. It took some of the sort of uh, stress um, of, of doing a sort of formative assessment each week out of it, because I think they they genuinely look forward to it in many cases. Brilliant. So. Just so building on on those real top tips and practical ideas. So what what would you feel is your uh, the advice that you give for a strategy for implementing UDL into into teaching? Well, I think it's really important to take into account four key considerations when when planning and delivering teaching from a UDL perspective. Um, so they are firstly making sure that there are clear learning outcomes or learning goals for the for the learners to achieve. OK, we talk about, you know, ensuring that students are strategic and goal oriented. Well, goal orientation in this um, perspective is to have clear learning outcomes. And, and that's not just at a program or a modular level, but even at an individual session level as well. Uh, second consideration would be um, the teaching styles or methods to be used. Uh, so a couple of questions to consider in relation to that would be, you know, do those teaching styles and teaching methods support the achievement of the outcomes or goals? And do they reflect the strengths and preferences of the learners that you'll be teaching? Because uh, they're the key considerations, really. You know, there's no point in in having a particular learning outcome or goal and then delivering teaching in a way that doesn't align with that goal. And obviously, if you've got learners that have a preference for learning in a particular way, if they have a very strong preference for, say, learning in a very active fashion, then it's no point in just delivering lectures uh, and sending them to sleep. So you have to kind of make sure that the learning and teaching approaches are aligned to the goals and also the needs of the learners. Um, the third consideration is the resources and materials used to support learning. So variety is, is the best approach in that in that respect. Um, so if you can present resources in different formats, that's that's a really good a good way to go. So, for example, you know, I might get on great by reading a piece of text on a given topic, but you might prefer to listen to a screen screencast rods or, or watch a video, for example. Um, and again, the nature of the learning group in terms of their variability will, will determine that. Uh, the final thing, the final consideration is is the way that we assess learning or or the way that we check that the learning goals or learning outcomes have actually been achieved. So, again, there are two considerations in that. Um, does that assessment or knowledge check reflect the outcomes or goals that you set for the session? Um, 
And are there flexible ways for the learners to demonstrate their understanding? So, again, I, I might be happy to write something down to show you that I understand, but you, you might prefer to verbalize it by discussing it with a peer or with your teacher. So having that flexibility and that's that's effectively what we did with the formative assessments on the on the PG cert. We sort of said, look, whatever your preference is for demonstrating your understanding of this formative assessment, then you can tap into that. And, and deliver it in that way so and I, as I say I think the, the participants really enjoyed that and I know that some of them started to implement uh, some of that kind of flexibility particularly where formative assessment was concerned in their own teaching so that was really nice to see. I'm curious Kev um, I was just thinking wh where do you go to to keep up to date with what's going on in all things UDL what's where or where can where could our listeners go and find some resources around UDL to find more information about what what the the approach is? Yeah, that's a really good question. So there's there's lots of different ways, really. I mean, there's some fantastic um, groups uh, that are are dedicated to UDL. So the uh, there's there's CAST, uh, which is the I think it's the Center for Assistive Software and Technology, which is in the USA. But I mean, if you type in CAST into, say, Google or somewhere like that, you'll be able to find them. They created the very first sort of UDL guidelines. So what we know about UDL in relation to engagement, representation, action and expression is kind of all their work. And they've got lots of sort of spin-off groups that, are, that have been a really important resource for me, really. So there's the UDL International Research Network, which is a network of colleagues uh, that are implementing UDL that like to share ideas and different resources um, and also share their experiences of how they're implementing UDL in different contexts. And one of the specific sort of interest groups within that network is around higher education, because um, obviously in, in the USA, there's a very big drive for UDL uh, in the school system. So in sort of primary and secondary education. Um, probably less so in higher education, but I think they've probably got a longer history in the in the US of implementing UDL in universities. So there's lots of important sort of learning we can we can take uh, from those um, from those sort of resources, really. And they, they've been a, a really important one one for me, most certainly. I think other than that, it's just a case of, of being committed to that kind of continual uh, reflection and evaluation of your own practices, really. Um, you know, getting people to observe my teaching and, and to feedback on my teaching's always been a really important mechanism for me to to improve things. Because you know, I think whenever we deliver a teaching session, we only ever sort of see it from from one perspective, don't we? That's our own perspective. It's that whole kind of multiple lenses aspect. I think is really important. Getting feedback from the students, getting feedback from peers. Um, getting feed, you know, using those self-reflective processes to sort of triangulate um, the overall message, I think, has always been really, really important to me. And I think it's one of the essences as well of of, of being a kind of committed teacher, really. I think, you know, we, we, we would always espouse that people take that kind of, you know, continuous development approach, wouldn't we, in terms of, 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 of enhancing their their practice as a teacher. And I think it's you know, if if you think about what's happened with COVID, I mean, we've all massively, haven't we, had to kind of upskill um, because we've been forced into doing it. But in a way, the COVID thing is kind of like a a microcosm of what happens in education over over a period of years. Anyway, the technology is always changing. The students are always changing uh, the way, you know, 
we we deliver learning and student expectations are constantly changing and we as teachers always have to kind of make sure we're we're ahead of the curve in that respect you know the, the way that sort of learning happens today if I think back to when I was an undergraduate I mean it's exceptionally different to to, to what we see now uh, at universities and I think that's a good thing when I, when I was an undergraduate there wasn't even an internet so <laughs> <laughs> I think we've moved on a little bit. So the, really, that was uh, that was what I was looking at, thinking about is, you know, what's the future? Where would you like to see or how would you like to see DMU develop its its uh, approach to U- UDL in the, in the next few years? Well, again, that, that's an excellent question, isn't it? I think obviously for all uh, for the entire higher education sector, we're all thinking now about uh, the potential of, of, of the virtual learning experience aren't we you know but not just virtual so the remote learning experience and and you know we don't really know how long this issue with covid is actually going to go on i know we've got a roadmap out of the out of the lockdown but there's there's no reason to say that we won't be back locked down at some point in the future i I sincerely hope we're not but obviously you know we all need to become far more skilled and far more comfortable with with teaching online but also i think there's a big piece around supporting learners in, in, in learning online, you know, I think the learning to learn piece is, is absolutely huge. Uh, and I think there's some lessons that we can learn from, you know, the the I generation or Generation Z, as we call it, in terms of how they kind of interact with the world through various mediums, social media, etc. Um, you know, I mean, we, we use a particular virtual learning environment at DMU, which shall remain nameless. Um, but, you know, you will know as well as I do that the interface with that particular VLE it does not compare at all to the kind of interface and usability of, say, social media or online gaming or even things like online banking. And I think the expectation among students is that they should have that that level of usability and interface with, with their virtual uh, learning environment, not just the VLE as a kind of thing, you know, not just sort of Blackboard, board, Moodle or Canvas or whatever, but but the entire kind of learning experience really and I think that's something that we probably need to as a sector not just as an institution uh, begin to think about a, a bit more readily I mean I I never had a VLE in my first or second year we introduced one in the third year of me being an undergraduate and it literally was just a place to store stuff you know it was like you know we don't have to print out the module handbooks and give them to you in the lecture theatre anymore you can download one from uh, WebCT I think it was that we used back then um, but you know in some circumstances even today all these all these years later we still see some VLEs being used as just a repository for storing stuff and and you know in in the sort of spirit of active learning and 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 creating a kind of immersive learning experience where where learners are going to learn by doing and 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 engage in in learning experiences you know it needs it needs to probably go one step beyond that i think yeah i think from my point of view in my interest area is around digital capabilities and i think um i think we need to have a whole uh, approach or upskilling of colleagues um to, to to bring about more inclusivity so without that you know we need to build those digital capabilities to to really help us drive the udl agenda forward to make sure that we are being inclusive in our practice i mean I, i'm sure it's something that you it's a it's an area that you're working on with your team as well definitely i mean i think i think you've hit the nail on the head there i mean obviously i've i've talked a lot about kind of the pedagogic side of UDL but you know technology is a fantastic tool 
by which to enhance UDL. You know, if if we talk about engagement as one of the pillars of UDL, you know, how we get students interested in learning and how we keep them motivated to stick at it. You know, it's probably easier to do that if we've got lots of different technological tools that we can call upon to keep them motivated and, and to keep them at it. Um, you know, I, I mentioned just there, you know, th there was a survey done recently, I think, where it was something like 88 percent or something like that of undergraduate students have access to social media. You know, so kind of engaging them through the technology, I think, is exceptionally important. You know, we, we talked about um, representation as a as a UDL principle, and this is about the kind of learning resources and materials. Well, again, you know, technology can really enhance uh, the types of resources and materials that we can provide to our students. You know, we don't just have to provide written text based uh, resources anymore. I mean, that's all that I got as an undergraduate. It's pretty much all that I got as a postgraduate. Actually, there was no uh, web based resources. There were no electronic resources. There were no podcasts, screencasts, no videos, really. It was all, you know, you read for your degree. Um, and I think, you know, utilizing technology has a massive part to play in, in the different ways in which students engage with their learning through learning resources and materials. And then finally, you know, the accent and expression part of, of UDL is about how they demonstrate understanding. And again, you know, technology provides massive opportunities in relation to that. So I think you're absolutely right. I think if we want to make a really, really good job of UDL and become really expert practitioners of UDL, technology has a, a huge role to play in that, definitely. Oh, look, Kev, you and I could chunter on, on these things for <laughs> for all day, probably. We might, might need to try and bring things to a close. Uh, but obviously, you, you at the moment at DMU, you're the uh, the lead on academic professional development. Um, in your role, in your in your passion for UDL, what what do you think as a as a closing point might be the number one takeaway tip on sort of implementing UDL? Uh, to share with colleagues who are listening in from within the university and outside of the university, our university as well. Oh, good question. Um, I think as a starting point, get to know your learners. You know, when I say get to know them, I mean, get to know about their strengths, their preferences and any challenges or barriers that they may have in relation to their learning. Um, try to get to know what motivates them and keeps them at it. You know, it's so important to get to know your learners because this will determine how you plan and then deliver teaching um, from the types of activities that you set them to the types of resources that you, you, you use to support learning. Now, there's no sort of single right way or wrong way of doing that. You know, some teachers like to use standardized surveys and questionnaires on their learners to find out about their preferences and their strengths, etc. Others just like to talk to them about their needs and preferences. Um, I know some colleagues like to observe their, their students, you know, kind of teach them for a few weeks and try and find out about them in that way. It doesn't really matter how it's done. The, the, the important thing, the key message is that teaching, you know, is planned and delivered with the learner's needs and preferences in mind. And I think as a starting point, you know, you can't really go wrong if, if, if you make that uh, the, the sort of starting point of your teaching practice, really. Okay, thank you. Um, so a big thank you to Dr. Kevin Merry to, for being our first guest on our Talking, Learning and Teaching podcast from oh, thank you. University. Thank you for listening. And I'm sure there'll be some more podcasts on their way very shortly um, to to uh, explore and discover some of the, the good practice that's going on at DeMotford University.